Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. GrimeCon in London is only seven weeks away and we wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who has purchased tickets so far. We can't wait to see you all on Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of September. If you haven't booked tickets to the event yet, there is a limited number still remaining. Visit crimecon.co.uk and make sure to use the promo code TWAU at checkout to receive not only a special 10% discount, but you can pick either an exclusive t-shirt or tote bag which you can collect directly from us during the convention. For those of you that have already purchased tickets using our promo code, an email will be sent out in the coming weeks to confirm what merchandise you would like. We will also be bringing along copies of our book, They Walk Among Us. And with that in mind, here is a chapter from the audiobook which features cases we have not covered on the podcast. It's available on Audible, Apple Books and everywhere that sells audiobooks. Thanks for listening and see you at CrimeCon. Emil Sillias, Shoot to Kill On April 5th, 2015, Easter Sunday, Army physiotherapist Vicky Sillias strapped on her parachute harness at Netheraven Airfield in Wiltshire. She was an experienced skydiver, and the dive that she was about to take should have been fairly routine. It was anything but... Vicky had spent the day waiting for the weather to clear and had at one point texted her husband Emil Sillias, who was back at their home in nearby Amesbury looking after their children, saying she wanted to abandon the jump. Emil had encouraged her to keep waiting. It will be worth it eventually, he told her. Vicky had recently been taking a break from skydiving while the couple started a family. In fact, their youngest child had arrived only five weeks before the fateful jump. Nevertheless, she waited until she finally got the all clear. 
However, as she prepared to get on the plane, she felt a strange foreboding. I felt a catatonic fear as the aircraft doors were closing, like nothing I'd ever known before, she was later to tell the mail on Sunday. If I had listened to my instincts, I would not have got on the plane for the hop and pop, skydiving slang for deploying a parachute within seconds of exiting a plane. All the way up to our jumping altitude of 4,000 feet, I knew I should not be jumping. I just didn't understand why. She even felt disassociated as she made the jump. I didn't talk to anyone. I was quite tired and emotional. I just put my goggles and my helmet on and put my head down. I remember the pilot giving me a smile as I went out. Usually that's the part I love. The cold rush. The smell. And it just did not hit me. Vicky was last out of the plane and could immediately tell there was something wrong. Her main chute failed to deploy correctly, flapping crazily in the wind as her speed increased. She would have to rely on her reserve. There had never previously been an instance in the UK of a skydiver's reserve and main parachute simultaneously failing. This was about to change. Vicky's reserve parachute also malfunctioned. It threw her into a spin in which she plunged out of control towards the ground. The speed of her descent became too much for her to bear and she blacked out seconds before she smashed into the ground. Later, she would tell police. There were a lot of twists in the main parachute. I got out of the twist and it looked like one of the risers, the main cords linking her harness to the canopy, was twisted, which is a packing issue, and the canopy wasn't flying and wasn't controllable. So I cut away the main, and I can't remember if I pulled the reserve or if it opened automatically. I could feel straight away the reserve didn't feel right, and it was very twisted. I tried to turn out of it, but it seemed to make the situation worse. I was trying to fight it, and I was spinning fast. You pretty much end up facing the ground, spinning quite rapidly. It took me a while to untwist the reserve, and I had to use a lot of force, kicking my whole body, and I managed to, but I couldn't work out why I wasn't gaining control and was spinning faster. The last thing I remember was trying to take control and open as many cells, individual sections of the chute canopy, as I could. Then everything went black. I don't know if it was the G-force or the impact, but everything cut out. Eyewitnesses on the ground did not feel Vicky could survive this catastrophe. The drop zone controller Justin Everett, a veteran of the Royal Artillery's Black Knight's parachute display team, knew Vicky was in trouble as soon as she left the plane. I could see the reserve was not working correctly, he said. It was spiralling with only one side attached and she was being violently thrown around. An air ambulance was scrambled within minutes. Its crew thought their mission would be futile. A 4,000 foot freefall beneath a semi-deployed canopy could end only one way they took a body bag with them. Yet, miraculously, Vicky Sillias survived. A single steering line on the right side of her reserve had given it just enough lift to slow her descent. She was small, 
just five foot three and light in weight, and crucially she landed on the soft ground of a ploughed field. Even so, she had suffered a broken pelvis, broken ribs, and fractured thoracic and lumbar vertebrae, potentially life-changing injuries. At the airfield's jump control centre, an emergency tannoy message summoned Mark Bayada, the Army Parachute Association's chief instructor at Netherhaven. I was told, it's serious, someone's been killed, he later recalled. He drove to the accident site and realised, to his astonishment, that although Vicky was drifting in and out of consciousness, she was alive. Once first aid had been given and Vicky was in the helicopter en route to intensive care at Southampton General Hospital, the inevitable question loomed. How could both parachutes have failed? Mark Bieda already suspected foul play. The following day he carried out a full inspection of Vicky's parachute. The main canopy's lines had been hopelessly and inexplicably tangled while two of the four vital S-links Nylon softlink connectors, which secure the reserve to the jumper's harness, were missing. They had not snapped off, which left just one explanation. They had been deliberately removed. Bayada picked up the phone and called the police. We were really confused by how the main lines had become knotted, he was to later explain in court. If it had been a normal opening, the slider a white piece of fabric attached to all eight lines, would have been up in the canopy. Instead, the lines were wrapped up in a ball. How could the lines have gone through the slider, he wondered. They are split between two separate holes. And not only that, but the eight strings were balled up at the same length. How could that happen? It's impossible. Somebody remove the links. Wiltshire police took the call seriously, but still felt it likely that the official British Parachute Association, BPA, Board of Inquiry would come back with a practical reason why both parachutes failed. This assumption changed after an out-of-the-blue telephone call. One of Vicky's close friends called them. She felt something about the accident wasn't right. She explained that Vicky and Emil had a toxic relationship dominated by his controlling personality. Although not physical, she said his treatment of her was effectively domestic abuse. Emil and Vicky's marriage were certainly not without its problems. Vicky had known for months that Emil had been having an illicit affair. His reckless expenditure and the debts he saddled them with were a major issue yet she had still felt the marriage could be saved. This was to prove an extraordinarily optimistic and misguided assumption. Two weeks after Vicky's friend's phone call to the police, the BPA inquiry backed Mark Bieda's conclusions that the parachute had been sabotaged. The mystery of the missing S-links and inexplicably tangled canopy lines was deepened by compelling statistical evidence. Of the 2.3 million sport parachute descents made in the UK between 2005 and 2014, there was not a single recorded incident of both the main and reserve canopy failing. 
one US company said it had never known an S-Link to fail in 40,000 parachute sales. Furthermore, records showed that Vicky's rig had been inspected 16 times by 10 different advanced packers during its lifetime, most recently, two months before her accident. Each time, the S-Links were all present and correct. Wiltshire detectives now knew they were dealing with a saboteur. Theoretically, a random killer with knowledge of a parachute's mechanism could have tried to murder a skydiver for kicks. But, far more likely, someone had wanted to specifically target Vicky. Once Vicky's friend agreed to give the police a formal statement, their approach changed. They began forensically analysing every aspect of Vicky's private life. That meant checking out her husband too. It didn't take long to see that Emil Sillias had a lot of explaining to do. He had always been one of life's natural risk-takers. As a teenager growing up in his hometown of Ermelo, northeastern South Africa, Emil's good looks and physique attracted women to him. Despite a voracious sexual appetite, he could also be romantic and charming. His family were staunch members of the NGK, the Dutch Reformed Church, and he attended services with them every Sunday. Emil had been 16 when he invited Nicolene Shepherd, three years his junior and below the age of consent, out on a date. My mum hated me to go out with anyone, Nicolene was to recall but she thought Emil was a good Christian boy and that it would be okay. I absolutely fell in love with Emil. He seemed very charming and gentlemanly, a good old-fashioned boy. On the first month's anniversary of our relationship, he sent me a long-stem red rose. Then the next month, two roses, and so on. I used them to spell out the words, I love you, on my bedroom wall. Much later, I discovered that Emil was sleeping with me and my best friend at the same time. There were at least four other girls while he and I were together, and those are only the ones I know about. At 16, Nicolene became pregnant by Silius. They got engaged, but by the time their daughter was born in June 2000, he was already in the UK on a working holiday, finding farm and pub jobs in Oxfordshire. Nicolene believed there was still a long-distance item, and after one of Emile's trips home, she fell pregnant again. After their son was born, she left the children in the care of her parents and followed him to the UK, expecting them to marry. Instead, she found out from his mum that he had dumped her. She was left to fly back to South Africa and raise their kids alone. Emile had met somebody else. Carly Taylor, whom he married in 2003. After the first of their two children was born a year later, they moved to Ipswich, where he found work as a nightclub barman. One day, on impulse, Emil wandered into a British Army careers office and learned that as a citizen of a former Commonwealth country, he was eligible to sign up. He joined the Royal Artillery as a signaller. Emil's initial training brought in little money and the couple needed Carly's parents' financial help to survive, but he was quickly marked out as a star candidate, winning best recruit 
in his 36-strong cohort. His reward was to choose his posting, and he selected 29 Commando based at Plymouth, hoping it would provide a pathway into the SAS. This ambition faded, and after Emil and Carly's second child was born, he instead set his sights on promotion through the Royal Army Physical Training Corps. All went well until early 2009, when he sustained severe knee ligament damage on an army ski training expedition in the French Alps. Cilliers had to wait three months for the ruptured tissue to settle down enough for surgeons to operate. He spent it at home with Carly, and during this spell they realised their marriage wasn't working. They amicably agreed to separate. Cilliers began his rehabilitation programme in January 2010. He reported to an army gym at Tidworth on Salisbury Plain in Wiltshire and was introduced across a treatment table to his physiotherapist, Captain Victoria Finch. At 34, she was five years his senior. Brought up near Edinburgh, Vicky Finch came from a well-respected family. She was educated at the prestigious Edinburgh Academy and sailed through exams. Her childhood was marred by losing her mother to cancer in 1992, and in the final months of her mum's life, Vicky, then 16, threw herself into raising money for a cancer charity, culminating in a sponsored parachute jump. It lit a fire in her. Skydiving, she knew, was the sport for her. After leaving school, she joined the Royal Army Medical Corps as a trainee physio and served in a field hospital in Kosovo. She rose quickly through the ranks. However, her personal life was less successful. A 2004 marriage to Captain Liam Fitzgerald Finch was to end in divorce. Both exiting failed marriages, Vicky and Emile soon became friends in the treatment room. Within a couple of months, they were dating, although she knew as his physio this was somewhat unprofessional. Emil introduced Vicky to Carly, and his ex-wife gave them permission to take custody of the two kids at weekends. He began teaching Vicky to climb, with the aim of taking her on a South African climbing holiday. She, in turn, introduced him to skydiving. He went along with it, but he was never hooked. It's nice to jump, he would later say in court. I thought it might be an adrenaline thrill, but it never really did it for me that way. In June 2010, Emil Silliers moved out of his Wiltshire Army mess room at Lark Hill Barracks and into Vicky's home. He contributed to the household finances, but couldn't hide the fact that he had debts. She wasn't happy about it because I didn't tell her from the start, he would later admit, but she did help me get control of these debts. Cilias and Vicky were looking forward to their January 2011 South African break. Before they flew out, Cilias asked Vicky's father to ask for her hand in marriage. He popped the question as they were climbing a mountain together. In September 2011, Emil and Vicky Cilias married in South Africa. Emil saved up for the trip by qualifying as a part-time parachute packer, a job that Vicky found for him. 
This role allowed him to prepare main parachutes. Packing a reserve chute was a far more rigorous and lengthy procedure and he needed to pass the advanced packer training course to do so. He began this course in October 2012, but never completed it. It was only after she gave birth to a daughter that Vicky discovered that Emil already had two children in South Africa, in addition to the two he'd fathered with Carly. He had neglected to mention them. She also realised that he was spending money recklessly again. It hit the marriage hard. Vicky emailed Silly as telling him she had consulted lawyers over the return of £19,000 she felt he owed her. It concluded, The hardest thing of all for me to deal with is trusting you. Silly has constructed elaborate lies to hide the fact that he was using loan sharks, taking out loans to cover loans and spending big on clothes and gadgets. One games console alone had cost him £2,000. His wife remained suspicious of him until he set up a regular monthly payment to her of £200, rising to £400. By now, Silias had been accepted to join the Army Physical Training Instructor Corps course and spent the first half of 2013 in barracks at Aldershot, commuting home at weekends. He had also been promoted to sergeant and the pay rise to £31,000, helped pay the mortgage on their home in Aldershot. In December of that year, Silias increased their life and career insurance package, saying it was in case he had to do another army extreme sport trip. He claimed to be worried that another knee injury would end his job as an army PT instructor. In early 2014, Silias and Vicky began discussing a possible second baby. It would be his sixth. Despite his reluctance, she fell pregnant in the late spring. Yet their relationship was failing. He informed his wife he felt they had married in haste and were no longer sexually compatible. Vicky found condoms in their home and in his car as well as texts from women she didn't know she discovered that he was visiting a sex club. This club, in an unremarkable terraced house in Salisbury, held twice monthly parties. Silias was a regular and his phone number was in the owner's phone contact list. It was only the tip of the iceberg of his hectic, chaotic, secret sex life. It was later to emerge that Silias had signed up to a website, Fab Swingers. Under the name Hot For It, he posted naked photos of himself and arranged sex with strangers. He was also in the habit of asking sex workers for bareback or unprotected sex and asking if he could video it. Nor was any of this a sudden fad. Emil Silias had been cheating on Vicky with casual sex partners and sex workers for years. She had long been suspicious especially as her husband spent so long on his phone, but she could not check it as he had recently downloaded fingerprint recognition software. This continuous duplicity and the fact they were looking to buy a new house led Vicky to insist on a prenuptial agreement, dividing their assets in the event of a breakup. They signed it on August 8th, 2014. Shortly afterwards, 
she opened her front door to find a debt collector demanding settlement of outstanding loans. You promised before we married not to use loan sharks, she angrily wrote in a text to Cilias. And now I get a big guy turning up to door trying to intimidate a pregnant woman with a visibly upset toddler. Both of us are shaken. That November, Cilias was sent on an army ski course in Austria. Logging on to the dating app Tinder, he found himself chatting to Stephanie Goller, a 36-year-old skydiving instructor from Innsbruck. They quickly became lovers. He added her to his WhatsApp contacts so they could stay in touch once he was home. Days later, Vicky sent him a plaintive text. Feel very, very low. Can't sleep. Crying pod their nickname for their daughter, and cats shouting at me. Had enough of life. Another followed days later. I feel much like the bottom has fallen out of my world. Can't stop crying. I feel I'm a failure as a wife. These cries for help did not meet with a sympathetic response. On his return from Austria, Silias told her, I don't want to be in this marriage. We got married too quickly. I do not know what I want. Meanwhile, he was busy lying to Stephanie Goller. He told her that he and Vicky had split up three months earlier. His new lover had no reason for now to disbelieve him. Vicky, however, was suspicious of his every move. When Silius told her he had to go on an army trip to Berlin immediately after Christmas, She knew he was lying. I cried so much I thought I was harming the unborn baby, she later recalled. Her suspicions about the Berlin trip were correct. Celia spent it in a £400 per night spa hotel with Stephanie. He even withdrew £500 of his wife's money to pay for airport parking and upmarket restaurant bills. On his return to Wiltshire, he discovered that Vicky had told her Facebook friends that she was convinced he was cheating. When he expressed deep hurt that she could suspect such a thing, his wife apologised to him. On January 7th, 2015, Cilia sent a text to Stephanie that was to later assume great significance. He wrote, From April, I can do random and spontaneous with you. The implication seemed to be that he would be free from any lingering family commitments and would be able to see her at any time. Five days later, he texted again, To be with you, I would do anything. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Silius continued to handle his complex double life with formidable dexterity. He took a room at his older shot army barracks telling Vicky that his unit was short-staffed and he had to work extra hours, so cutting out his hour-long commute made sense. Of course, 
This separation meant he had more time to chat to Stephanie and pursue extramarital sex. Vicky was in two minds. She hated her husband's cheating and felt it was easier not to have him around. However, she was struggling emotionally with the pending birth and needed help caring for their eldest child. On February 24th, Vicky texted him at work to say her waters had broken. Cillias was sending a love poem to Stephanie at the time. He drove home, but continued to message his lover as his wife gave birth. Cillias was to tell Stephanie he had felt nothing when he had held Vicky's baby and that he was, in fact, not even the father. By now becoming suspicious of his story, Stephanie responded with texted questions. So who was the father? Was the marriage really over? In reply, Cillias claimed that even Vicky's parents knew about her infidelity, adding, I promise all will be water under the bridge very soon. I don't want anything to jeopardise us. I'm not going to lose you over this. You have no idea how much you mean to me. Stephanie remained unsure that she'd been told the truth and Cillias had to constantly reassure her. He claimed that a paternity test had shown the baby wasn't his. A relief Stephanie replied with a seven-word text, A stone has fallen from my heart. Remarkably, Cillias had also simultaneously begun a fresh sexual relationship with his ex-wife Carly Taylor. Arranging to meet her on the evening of March 29th, he sent her a text. So tonight, we fuck twice. History was repeating itself. Nine years earlier, while he was married to Carly, Cillias had cheated on her with the mother of his first two children, Nicolene Shepherd, then living an hour's drive away from Salisbury. When Nicolene had contacted him through his mother, as her children were asking questions about their dad, Cillias had told her his marriage to Carly was over and persuaded her to rekindle their romance. This plan foundered when he accidentally left his mobile behind and Nicolene answered a call from Carly. Knowing at once that he had tricked them both, the women plotted revenge. They arranged that Nicolene would be at home with Carly when Cillias got in from work that night. Cillias had been dumbfounded and at first attempted to speak to Nicolene in Afrikaans, a language that Carly did not understand. Carly yelled at him that he had to choose between them. It was the end of Cillias and Nicolene, but Carly was to forgive him the affair. Even after their divorce and his marriage to Vicky, she had been unable to totally forget him. Hence their latest affair and their assignation on March 29th, 2015. However, before he drove to her house for sex, he had some DIY to do at home. Emil Cillias used his spanner to loosen the main gas insulation valve in the house he shared with Vicky. He was looking to create a leak that might trigger a fatal explosion. Vicky was his target, but there was every chance his children could have died too. At 8.24 the following morning, after his romantic rendezvous with Carly, Cillias got a text from Vicky. The exchange ran as follows. 
How was your night? Morning. I'm okay, thanks. How are you? Did you alter the gas lever on the cooker? It's in the cupboard. Smell gas and dry blood around the lever. Nope. That's weird. Is the stove working? Cillias was apparently trying to persuade her to try to light it. No, didn't want to try. I've left the back door open. Concerned recourse. Assure not imagining it. More than two hours later, Vicky sent him another text. Are you trying to bump me off? When her husband professed shock, she backed down. Of course I don't think that. Just an article I read in a real-life magazine. My husband tried to kill me. Just after this incident, and a month after she had given birth, Vicky Sillias began thinking about once again taking up her favourite sport of skydiving. She drove to Netheraven Airfield, but found that her own parachute needed servicing by manufacturers in Germany, which would mean a six-week wait. To jump before then, she would have to hire one of Netheraven's in-house rigs. She decided to do so, and the following Saturday, April 4th, Vicky, Emil and their two children were back at Netheraven for her comeback skydive. Her husband told her it would be her treat, and he would look after the kids on the ground while she jumped. However, low cloud meant they were forced to hang around a waiting area, hoping for the weather to clear. Cillias had signed out a higher parachute on her behalf and was carrying it when, or so he told his wife, their two-year-old wanted to go to the toilet. Cillias took the little girl to a nearby cubicle, taking the parachute with them. This was his chance to be alone with the hired rig. But was it enough time to remove the S-links, tangle the main lines and leave the outer casing apparently untouched? That question was to be asked many times in the coming months. That cloudy Saturday was a write-off for skydives at Netheraven. The family decided to give up and return the next day. The airfield's usual procedure was for hire equipment that had been signed out but unused to be returned to the kit store. If they did that, Vicky might get the same rig the next day, or she might not. It was pure chance. Emil didn't want to return the rig. He suggested instead they leave it in his wife's locker overnight. That way, he suggested, they could avoid any unnecessary waiting the following morning. So it was that Vicky Sillias was attached to the same malfunctioning parachute, the one that her husband had been so keen for her to use, when she made her near-fatal free fall from 4,000 feet. After the accident when Vicky was rushed to hospital, Emil sat by her bedside. He wasn't consoling his wife, who was stricken with pain. He was texting messages to his lover, Stephanie Goller. One exchange read, Emil, I can't imagine anything like this happening to you. I think about you all the time. Stephanie, anything I can do for you? Emil, just love me and think of me because all I can think about is you. Cillias continued lying to her. He claimed he had had to break into Vicky's home to pack personal items for his hospital stay as he no longer lived with her. 
I'm not paying a locksmith to do it. When Stephanie asked whether the new baby's father knew about Vicky's accident, Cillias replied, I don't even think the dad knows he's a dad. When police later examined Cillia's phone, they found that he and Stephanie had exchanged an astonishing 249 texts that night of April 5th as he sat by his critically ill wife's bedside. Amazingly, the next morning Vicky Cillia's was conscious and able to speak to her husband. She had no suspicions of foul play and surmised to him that a packer at the airfield may have been to blame. He naturally went along with that idea. That afternoon, Cillias met with officials from Netherhaven, eager to play the caring husband and be updated on the possible cause of a rig failure. Mark Bayada told him he had never seen a main chute in such a mess. Bayada was later to tell police, I was expecting questions from Emil. He had little reaction. He was looking at the ground with hardly any response at all. He didn't ask me any questions. Nevertheless, Cillias was continuing his running text commentary for Stephanie. He told her that Vicky was very badly injured and would probably walk with a limp for the rest of her life. So sorry, replied his lover, but Cillias dismissed her sympathy. Don't be. It's not your fault. I just want your support and understanding for a while. It's hard to take in. She is the mother of my daughter. But what we have is far more special than that. Cillias switched the theme of the text to an upcoming holiday the pair were planning. When Stephanie wondered if it should go ahead, he replied, Hell yes, why wouldn't it? I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Vicky remained in terrible pain in her hospital bed, yet Cillias took her insurance papers to sign to claim personal accident benefit. He also attempted to take out a credit card in her name, using Carly Taylor as a counter-signatory. His ex-wife refused, insisting she wanted clear authority from Vicky first. By April 12th, a week after the disaster, Speculation was fast growing among the Cillias friends and colleagues that her husband may have been responsible for her accident. He told her he was sickened by this and she assured him she knew any suspicion was unfounded. Yet there were awkward moments between them. In particular, the couple discussed whether it was relevant for the police to know that he had been alone in the airfield toilets with their daughter and the parachute. Yet the evidence against Cillias was mounting. Police discovered that he not only had £22,000 in personal debt, but had taken out an insurance policy covering both Vicky and himself, which would pay out £120,000 in the event of an accidental death. Ironically, he would not have benefited from this. Unknown to him, Vicky had secretly changed her will to ensure only her children would receive her assets if she died. A letter to her executors explained that she didn't have any faith in Emil to be able to manage the money himself. On April 28, 2015, six days after Vicky left hospital in a chest brace, police arrested Emil Cillias and interviewed him under caution. 
they searched the couple's house and Celia's barracks accommodation. Personal computers and phones were seized and forensically analysed for relevant phone calls, texts, emails and internet search histories. The police interviewed Vicky at home, informed her of the full extent of her husband's many affairs and took away her phone for analysis. The investigation was now moving fast and a new line of inquiry was opened on the previous gas leak. Detectives took away Cilia's DIY tools and the mains gas insulation valve. Could forensic examination establish that Cilia's spanner had been used to loosen it and that the dried blood on the valve was his? It could, and it was. It was a one in eight billion match. It became clear to the police that Cilia's time in the toilet with his daughter and the parachute was crucial to their attempted murder investigation. Vicky initially told them he had been away for no more than two minutes. During interviews on May 3rd and 4th, she said it may actually have been five minutes or even longer. Cilia's urged Stephanie not to cooperate with the police. She replied that she would do so and would just tell the truth. If there is a reason behind not wanting me to give evidence, let me know. On May 19th, she gave the officers her phone with all of its data. The trial of Emil Silly is opened more than two years later in October 2017. Prosecuting barrister Michael Bowes QC told the jury that Silly's was a charmless, unfaithful, penniless scoundrel. He continued, Emil Silly's is not on trial for having an affair with Stephanie Goller. Why does any of this matter? It matters because what you may conclude is that, by this time, he had no interest in Victoria at all. He couldn't really care less. He wanted to be with Stephanie. He wanted something still going with his ex-wife. He talked repeatedly about a new life and treated Victoria with absolute contempt. Yet Vicky Sillias rode back on some of the comments she made in her police interviews when she was in the dock, where she had told them her husband had been alone with a parachute and their daughter for five to ten minutes. Now she reverted to saying it had been no longer than two. In a strange way, she seemed to be trying to protect him. I was out for his blood, she claimed from the witness box, trying to explain her earlier statements. I did overemphasise some things in police interviews. I was humiliated and wanted him to suffer. The red mist came down. I was gunning for him. Mark Bayada showed the jury a video demonstrating that it was possible to sabotage a parachute within the confines of a toilet cubicle in just over five minutes. He told the court, For anyone that knows how, it's a very simple operation to remove the S-links while the rig remains in its bag. I was able to do it just by hand with no tools. The court was also played a video of a police interview in which Vicky said her first memory after the fall was seeing Cilias by her hospital bed. In it, she said, I remember getting upset and apologising to him and saying, You should just go now. I could end up a cripple. I was on quite strong painkillers. I said I love you, and he didn't reply. 
which is really harsh in that situation. Really fucking harsh. Vicky also said that although Emil had visited regularly while she was in intensive care, she saw him only three times in three weeks once she was on the general ward. One time he came with papers for the insurance claim and said we need to get the ball rolling because we need help with the finances. She added, My friends have very busy jobs and lived an hour away, but they still came in more than he did. When I came home, I cried. We sat in silence, and he didn't even say welcome back. In his defence, Silias did not deny that he had lied to and cheated on his wife, but stressed that he was not on trial for that. He admitted he was poor at managing money and had bought things he wanted even as his debts mounted. However, he claimed he was blameless with regard to two alleged attempts to kill her. He had not tried to cause a gas leak. The blood on the valve could have been the result of him trying to fix it, and he did not sabotage the parachute. At the time of Vicky's fall, he had no inkling of how easy it was to gain access to the Esslings. I had never done it, he insisted. I only realised this when it was demonstrated to me. The prosecutor's response was scathing. Then who did interfere with the parachutes, and when did they get the chance? Silias argued that the rig could have been sabotaged by somebody else in the airfield buildings. However, when Michael Bowes began the final phase of his cross-examination on November 6th, he mounted a forensic demolition of the accused defence. The detailed exchange deserves reproducing. Bowes. We saw an expert parachute packer explain exactly how tight they, the S-Links, are. They can only be removed by deliberate human intervention. Silius. Yes. Bose. It must follow that whoever removed those links intended Victoria to die. Silius. No, the person who removed those links intended the person who used the rig to die. Bose. The girl from the kit store was the only person who could interfere with the rig. She gave it to you and you put it in the locker. Silius. She wasn't the only one who had access to it. Anyone around the office could have done it. Bose. Someone decides they just want to kill anyone in the world. Silius. Could be. I just know I didn't have anything to do with it. Bose. It would have to be a Netheraven insider, wouldn't it? A person with experience who wants to remove Esslings to kill a random person in the world. They would have to be a Netheraven insider, wouldn't they? Silius. Not necessarily. That wasn't the only time the rig was left unattended. I was just trying to point out that the rig was left out and the APA, Army Parachute Association, was keeping that information from the police. Sabotaging the parachute in the gent's toilet would have been, he claimed, making use of a very risky place because on a drop day people are coming in and out all the time. Bose. A random person takes a rig off the hook and interferes with it just to kill someone. It's ridiculous, isn't it, Mr. Silius? There's no suggestion Victoria tried to remove the links herself. Silius. No. Bose. No enemies? Silius. No. Bose. A complete stranger just happened to pick up that rig off a hook with no particular urge other than to kill the next person to jump 
Silius. Yes. Pose. It has to come down to a random killer, a nether raven insider, or you. Silius. Not really. People who are part of the nether raven club aren't always there. Pose. There might be a few minutes where a random killer could nip in there and take it out. Or we're down to the position where a nether raven insider who knows about packing, who knows the system, that opportunistic random killer would have to wait until the kit store was quiet, get the rig out, whip the slinks out and then get it back in. That's the alternative you're suggesting. Silius, I'm not going to suggest anything. I'm just pointing out that the store was left unattended. It's not my job to explain what happened. Bose pointed out that a random killer would have had to sabotage both the main chute and the reserve and wouldn't want to do it on the packing mat. After interfering with the chute, it would have to be surreptitiously returned to the store. He also stressed that after Vicky had hired the parachute out on the previous rain-affected day, it had not been returned to the kit store. Instead, Cillias had made sure to leave it in her locker. Bose, the only person who took it anywhere, such as a toilet stall, was you. Silius, me and his daughter. Bose, no suggestion the locker was broken into. Silius, no. Bose, next day in comes Victoria. The rig hasn't been interfered with. Silius, it might have been interfered with. Bose. It's hanging up on a hook and someone who knows about parachutes interferes with it. Silius. It's a possibility. It's not my job to speculate. Bose. So it's a random killer, motiveless, or someone who has seen Victoria and decided she is going to die, or you. In terms of who has access, it has got to be one of those three, hasn't it? And, in fact, what we boil down to in the end is a motiveless random killer, or you. Silius, if that's your suggestion, yes. It was a damning final cross-examination, and most observers did not expect the jury's deliberations to take too long, which is why almost nobody anticipated what actually happened. A hung jury and a retrial. It was a torturous process. After a week of deliberations, two female jurors reported feeling unwell with stress. One was admitted to hospital. The judge discharged them both, warned the remaining jurors against bullying each other while reaching their decision and urged the remaining ten members to reach a decision. They were unable to do so. The trial had cost close on £500,000 and failed to reach a verdict. It would not be reheard until April 2018. This second trial of Emil Cillias was a far more straightforward affair. The jury took less than two days to find him guilty on all three charges he faced, two counts of attempted murder and the third lesser charge of altering a gas main with intent to endanger life. In press conferences immediately after the verdict, the police and prosecuting counsels both condemned Cillias as a consummate manipulator of women. Detective Inspector Paul Franklin of the Wiltshire Police delivered a damning verdict. The real danger with Emil Cillias is he is cold, 
calculated, deliberate, and his actions are done for financial and sexual motives. There was absolutely no consideration of his wife or anyone else. He serves his own needs, and that makes him a very dangerous man. I don't think we can underestimate the ordeal that Vicky has been put through. Physically, she is well, but obviously, she is still traumatised. Junior Prosecuting Counsel Hannah made the same point. The jury heard details of his coercive behaviour towards his wife and his continued manipulation of all the women in his life to satisfy his own desires, whether financial or sexual. He showed complete and utter contempt for his wife and this culminated in his desire to have her dead, whether to start a new life with his lover Stephanie Goller, benefit financially from the death of Victoria Sillias, or both. Yet despite the weight of evidence and the mass condemnations of Emil Sillias, his wife Vicky still found it impossible to condemn her husband or to believe the guilty verdicts. Yes, I'm hurt and angry, but can I see Emil as capable of murder? No, she said. Yes, their marriage was breaking down, she admitted. Yes, he was unfaithful. Yes, he had money issues. But none of this amounted to attempted murder, and he was still her husband. She had no plans to file for divorce and fully intended to visit him in prison. On Friday, June 15th, Emil Sillias stood in the dock of Winchester Crown Court No. 2 to hear the judge pass a life sentence, concurrent on all three charges, with an order that he must serve a minimum of 18 years. Mr Justice Sweeney told Sillias he had committed wicked offending of extreme gravity, adding, Your offending was extremely serious with your two attempts to murder your wife. They were planned and carried out in cold blood for your own selfish purposes. That your wife recovered at all was miraculous. She undoubtedly suffered severe physical harm, and she must have suffered psychological harm in the terror of the fall and since. She appears to have recovered from the physical harm, but not, having seen her in the witness box at length, from the psychological harm. The judge concluded, You are reckless and single-minded, with significant defects in thinking and behaviour. You enjoy taking risks no matter what the cost. You are an expert in manipulation. You are plainly capable of planning someone's murder to meet your own selfish needs, and you demonstrated an ability to orchestrate a complex plan which required an unprecedented level of calm under significant pressure. Silius showed no emotion as he was taken down to the cells. Remarkably, in a round of television interviews that followed his sentencing, Vicky Silius still declined to condemn him and refused to accept his guilt. Even after a free fall from 4,000 feet, she accepted to regard her love for him as a strength. For Emil Sillias, it had always been a weakness that he would kill to exploit. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.